everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI. And today we are joined by Johnny Taylor. He is the former CEO of the Thurgood Marshall Fund, which represents the 47 publicly supported historically Black colleges and universities in this country. And he's also currently the CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management. Today, we brought him on to talk about a couple of issues that related to historically Black colleges that have been in the news lately. So Ian, I will let you start off this great conversation. And Johnny, thanks so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you all and Happy New Year. Yeah, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. So some of our listeners might be familiar with the NCAA and a program that they've had for a number of years called the Academic Performance Program. It's a program that the NCAA has stipulated that essentially says to college teams that you've got to hit certain academic benchmarks. And if your athletes on the teams don't meet those benchmarks, then the team can be punished from having things like practice time cut to ultimately teams literally being banned from postseason play. And it could be for teams in the future. And as a result of this academic performance program, HBCUs, you know, historically black colleges and universities represent about six and a half percent of division one schools, but 72% of the teams that have been banned from postseason competition are HBCUs. So about 114 of the 159 schools have been HBCU teams. So that disparity for some is evidence of racial discrimination. And a lawsuit has now been filed to abolish the academic performance program, which is interesting. So here's an attempt to actually establish academic standards. And yet the racial disparities are suggesting to some, let's get rid of it. So Johnny, you know, very interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, why was this program stipulated in the first place? And does it make sense to abolish it given the racial disparities and the outcomes? Well, so this is a really interesting, complex, nuanced subject. So I'm going to try to be succinct, but to simplify it, it was intended to make sure college athletes aren't just athletes. That was the purpose of the NCAA imposing the academic rules through the APP, as we call it, the Academic Performance Program. The reality is, even in the best programs, I'm a graduate of the University of Miami, so top-tier football school, swimming school, athletic school, and academic institution, a small minority of the students are going to make it to the pros, if you will, right? So the idea is the NCAA is trying to balance the interest of the student-athlete with the future graduate who is to go to work like the rest of us, like, and, and to ensure that he or she graduates and has the right skills so that they can go into the workplace and provide for themselves. So I understand the purpose of this, and, and I understand the challenges for not just HBCUs, but all sorts of minority-serving institutions. We have Native American institutions who have very poor, academically talented students. The people who brought in oftentimes come with their own challenges. And the struggle is, if we somehow abolish an academic performance program, then what stops a student, especially these students who come from fragile communities, from being used up for four or five years? They leave with no degree, used up their bodies, and then they look back and say, the school abused me or the system abused me. So 
I'm really torn with the idea that you're going to abolish the system. If there are ways to improve it, yes. But to abolish it just seems not smart to me. And we should say that the NCAA's standards are, for many of us, not even as high as we might like. I mean, there are regularly stories of occurrences at other non-HBCU schools where it turns out that student athletes are going to no-show classes, Mm -hmm. that they have classes that don't really have a curriculum, and that the school is kind of doing exactly what you said, which is to say, you know, using their bodies in order to make money off of athletics and not providing them with the same kind of education that the other students at the schools receive. And let me just say this too. It's even more important, in my opinion, that we have these standards, even if they're minimum standards, for these students, because we recruit students who come in, we acknowledge they're academically challenged. We acknowledge that the chances of them going to some professional sport that will provide them income to provide for them at any reasonable level are slim to none. So why would you not ensure that those students have not just the minimum, but even better than the minimum? And I understand that comes with cost, and I understand that the schools can't be held to the standard overnight, but over time, we owe it to the students. My concern about this entire class action strategy is it's very much I don't know that it's benefiting the students. I think the institutions are concerned because it puts them at a disadvantage. And we need to put the students first. What's in the best interest of these children? Absolutely. And it seems like the punishments are being felt by the students. What about the coaches, the administration? Like, What's their role in all of this? That's right. It's troubling on so many levels. And I hope that at the end of the day, to the extent there are enhancements to be made to the academic performance program, Okay, if that's an outcome, we can always strive for things to be better. But the idea that we'll eliminate it and somehow just let students be used by the system, whether it's a black system or a non black system, is not acceptable. Well, let me ask you just on that specific point. You know, so the the people who are bringing forth this lawsuit say, look, only six and a half percent of Division I schools are HBCUs, but 72% are the schools that are being banned. So that's systemic racism. How do you interpret that? Like, you can see that the, you know, there's a disparity and try to solve the problem. But if your basis for the rationale, it must be systemic racism, then doesn't that fundamentally change how you go about trying to solve the problem? Well, it does. And, and without getting into a very long debate about systemic racism and specifically in the context of the NCAA system, what I would suggest to you is what I said earlier. If the focus is on what's in the best interest of the student, then what we do is the system, the schools should find a way to ensure that their students meet not only the academic progress necessary to see them graduate, but that they also play. So it's not one or the other. If we're going to really look at this, let me tell you, systemic racism says that if an overwhelming majority of the students go to these schools, either don't graduate or graduate without meaningful skills and therefore go into the workplace and are unable to get jobs, that to me is, it leads to more racism or systemic racism, right? That's the disparity that we should be much more worried about. Very much so. Kids not graduating or kids graduating and going into the workforce without the skills that they need. Well, that sort of leads us to the second big topic that we wanted to discuss with you today, which is sort of broadening this discussion into the subject of HBCUs as institutions generally. A few HBCUs recently made big news because they received large gifts from Mackenzie Scott, 
the former wife of the Amazon CEO, Jeff Bezos. I have the numbers here. Howard University received $40 million, Hampton University, $30 million, Tuskegee, $20 million, and Xavier also received a $20 million gift too. Was unsolicited, by the way. These were right. These just there were some interesting stories about kind of people thinking this was a prank, but these numbers <laughs> arrived in their inboxes. I didn't get that phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Check your spam folder. <laughs> but we kind of wanted to find out, you know. So, what do you think is is motivating these gifts? We should also say that the Trump administration has actually also been financially supportive of HBCUs too. Should we be putting more money into HBCUs? Do you think the evidence is there to support the idea that African-American students are getting a good education at these institutions and that more money is going to solve some of the problems that these institutions seem to have? So to me, there's no doubt that HBCUs historically have done an amazing job creating what we know to be the black middle class and professional class. The numbers are there. They indicate that when you look at Black judges and lawyers and physicians and teachers, and you go through the list, there's no question that the institutions have done a phenomenal job, particularly at a time when America didn't allow African-Americans to enroll in institutions of their choice or the ones that they could otherwise get into because of racism, institutionalized, legalized racism, right? So The question is, how do we, and really the question is, should we invest in helping these institutions continue their work so that they're relevant in a 21st century context when you don't have legal obstacles in the way or laws on the books that prevent students from being enrolled in an institution simply because of the color of their skin or their race, right, or ethnicity. So that's the challenge. And so I actually was encouraged to see And I'll get to the bit about why I believe this all came about. But I was encouraged to see the investment in the institutions because the thesis is these institutions serve a significant and worthy population of students who won't get into some of the top institutions or, frankly, even many of the middle ranked, if you will, institutions. And so they serve a purpose because if not there, then where do these kids go? So if you give these institutions, invest in them and help them come up with a 21st century value proposition that isn't positioned solely because you can't get into other institutions because of your race, then it's a good investment. And we'll figure out over time if you get a sufficient return in contemporary terms. So can you just explain further what you think the 21st century value proposition is? I mean, if you're an African-American student who's finishing high school and you're deciding where to go to school, you have other options. I mean, you know, at any level, no matter where you're graduating in your class, you have other options. So why the HBCU? What is the value proposition today? Well, several of the HBCUs will provide not total open enrollment, but have standards that recognize that traditional SAT, GPA, they acknowledge some of the substandard K through 12 educational preparation that students receive. So they have specific interventions that the majority institutions just don't have. As I said, I'm not a product of an HBCU. I didn't attend an HBCU. But what I do know is that I have seen students who, because of substandard K through 12 education, literally needed that special educational option that is not as widely available at other institutions. You also find that just as we have still 
female schools, all, I don't want to say all girls schools, but we have female schools. It's okay. All girls. (laughs) The American system is wonderful in that we provide a variety of settings for individuals to be educated. If you want to go into an environment that is majority black, and it's not exclusively black, but a majority black, then you should have that. You should be able to go to a military school if that's what you want. In other words, there are options, and HBCUs are one of those options. Again, the key will be, and back to the specific question, are people coming out better? Then they went in. I used this term when I was at Thurgood Marshall. We coined it as our phrase, Thurgood Marshall College institutions are where education pays off. So here's the problem. If students enroll in a school and either don't graduate or graduate with so much debt that they are worse off at the end of the day, then education didn't pay off. And so that's what HBCUs and other institutions, but particularly HBCUs, given the debt that many of these kids bring out of, they've got to be able to show that net, net, this was a positive. If not, and the kid's worse off and their families are worse off because they took on parent plus loans, et cetera, then this is not good for our society. And it's definitely not good for that community. Yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the, what's interesting about what you, what you just said though, is that for those HBCUs that are open enrollment, they can be more receiving of kids that may have come out of inferior K to 12 systems. And so you need this diversity. Know that just back to the first part of the segment, that's the rationale that the folks who've brought this lawsuit on NCAA are using. They're saying, let's eliminate the standard because kids, you know, they can't do the work. So I think it's a little bit of a slippery slope. We just have to be careful of when you do remove objective standards, what the impact can be, both in terms of perception of inferiority and then the perpetuation of inferiority. You're spot on, Ian. I could not agree with you more, which is what I was getting at in terms of the recent influx of dollars coming into HBCUs is it's a bit of if the schools really can bring in a student who might otherwise other schools don't take a risk on. And by the way, that's not the case in all HBCUs. If you look at the entering class of some of the top HBCUs, top ranked HBCUs, they're very competitive. So I'm not suggesting that all HBCUs are open enrollment institutions or are somehow only accepting students who can't make it in other institutions. What I am saying is if we can invest in those institutions who do find a way to make Johnny and Johnny's future generations better off in four years because of then let's let's do it. Let's figure that out. We may conclude that it's not going to work. Now I differentiate that from sports. I mean the reality is Higher educational institutions are just that. They're supposed to be for people to improve their stations in life through academics. And to the extent the institutions think that the only thing they should focus on is athletics, then shame on them. So I differentiate those two. One issue, I I know proponents of HBCUs often talk about the high rates of graduation in STEM fields from HBCUs. And Some people have speculated that this is because HBCUs don't have what's called the mismatch problem, which is to say they're not recruiting, you know, African-Americans with lower standards than their white students. And as a result, everyone is held to the same standards and is everyone is going to fail or succeed in these classes. And the classes are aimed exactly at the kids who they've admitted. And I wonder, you know, whether you think that's true and whether HBCUs have an advantage now over schools that are holding different standards for different groups of kids? 
to me, there's no question that there's something to be said for that. I mean, you think about the kid who can get into the engineering program at North Carolina A&T State University, which is an HBCU known for its engineering programs. That kid's pretty darn good, right? I mean, they can get into a number of institutions. And so it does not surprise me that they have a significantly higher graduation rate, you know, because, right, that's, they, they recruited for that. And that is the argument on the other side against pure open enrollment programs, particularly in very rigorous programs, programs that require a level of K through 12 academic preparation that you just can't, you know, kind of make up in the first two years of a generalized college education. You just can't do it. And so I think what you hear, and I've heard it a lot, is I hear these arguments for people who truly don't understand how this works. They don't understand pedagogy. They don't understand adult education. And they, more importantly, and relevant to my job now, is they don't understand the demands of employers. This is not about feeling good all the time. You take a kid's life, their time, and their money for four or five years, and when they come out on the other end and every employer sizes them up in an interview and says, you've not been prepared, that kid is angry. And oftentimes they're angry at the broader society when they should be angry at the institution that failed to prepare them. I mean, we can't let a conversation about HBCUs go without acknowledging the role that three graduates have played, Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock, and Kamala Harris, all HBCU graduates. It feels like there's a renaissance happening that HBCUs may, may see a growth in applications given this newfound attention and investments. Well, and I hope so. We all hope they do. What is not lost on any of us is every group of institutions. We always say God is pretty equal and egalitarian in talent. So HBCUs will have very successful people. Remember, you know, Barack Obama didn't attend an HBCU. I didn't attend HBCU. There are a lot of successful African-Americans who didn't attend HBCUs. I want to be careful. I understand the pride associated with having an HBCU graduate in one of these most important roles. There's no question. So I hope no one takes this the wrong way. But at the end of the day, a lot of institutions have been doing their job over the years in creating opportunities for people who look like me and Ian. And we need to give credit to the entire system, including HBCUs. Well, and I think just to get back to the value proposition question, I mean, there is this question, HBCU grads have a much higher student debt load than the average American college student. And so if this money is going to be used to try to reduce that, maybe that in and of itself will improve the value proposition of some of these schools. But you hope in turn also that private investment means that, you know, there's going to be some accountability too. You know, if we give you $30 million and your graduation rates don't change and your student debt load doesn't change and you're suing for lower academic standards from the NCAA, you know, someone is going to say, I'm going to question whether I should give you another $30 million. Well, Naomi, that, you just nailed it. And, and that's the issue. I am hoping, I've not seen you know, any of the agreements with the schools, the strings attached to the money. But it, I've heard, I will tell you that there were no strings attached. That's what I've heard. If that's true, it is concerning because selfishly, if institutions get these dollars and a decade from now, they have not been able to prove that it was a good investment, then it will be the argument for not investing going forward. Right. That, yeah, that's then the case of 
it's much more about the donor and having the afterglow of the press release. Exactly. That, and that is concerning. It really is. I don't know if that's accurate. Let me be clear. But what I've heard, and it would not surprise me, is that this money is being given literally without accountabilities, et cetera. And right from an airplane. Right. That's dangerous. That's very, very, very dangerous. And it would be so, by the way, not just of HBCUs, but of any institution. If you're giving the money, then you should expect a return, if not to you individually, to society. Yeah. I'll confess, if McKenzie Scott calls me and wants to give me $30 million, (laughs) no strings attached, I won't say, are you kidding me? I'd probably take the money. All right, we'll we'll forgive you for that, Ian. We'll we'll hold you accountable, even if she won't. All right, well, we're going to have to end our conversation there. Thank you so much, Johnny Taylor, for joining us. You can listen to episodes of Are You Kidding Me? wherever you get your podcasts or from the AEI website. So with that, I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Thanks so much. Uh